Hello, welcome back to the Three Worlds podcast, a new series and uh, new theme music because I lost the old theme music. I've got about 500 or so CDs of medieval music on my computer and I couldn't actually remember what track I used as the theme tune. So that's a new tune and it's not actually a medieval tune. It's uh, a modern composed track by a woman called Shira Kamen, uh, S-H-I-R-A-K-A-M-M-E-N and the track was called La Crabe Noir and it's from an album called Mistral. You can find it on Spotify and various places like that. Well, I've been listening and editing all of the previous podcasts that I did over a few year period, um, starting about 14 years ago or thereabouts, going back and listening to them. I found a few that really were not very relevant. Um, I wasn't very well during some of those early podcasts. Um, I had serious eye condition and uh, which I'm now okay with but uh, back then I found some of them difficult because I couldn't see the computer terribly well and so there were three podcasts that really didn't stand up Um, podcast number five podcast number 18 and number 20 and so I have actually deleted the original tracks and put on new ones on those so if you think you've heard 5, 18 and 20 you haven't heard it all folks so go back and listen. Um, Number five is an interview with a Native American medicine man called Bearheart and number 18 and 20 are uh, part one and two of a talk that was given um, in London by the University of Oxford about vampirism in Tibetan traditions and the dealing of of vampires, the dealing with of vampires, vampire slaying, all good stuff. So uh, you can go back and explore those delights. I've also moved all of the podcasts from their original host. And uh, so there's been a a huge amount of work, really. It's taken me a a good week to get all of this sort of stuff sorted out and moved and transferred. So I hope very much that you enjoy the new series that I'm going to be recording. So, as I said, welcome back. It's been a few years since I did a podcast and... um, Yeah, I just feel like it might be time to do another series and treat all of the ones that I've done in the past a little bit like the first series. And this is a new series. And uh, so what I'm going to do is uh, start really going back to basics in this one. I thought it would be good probably to do a series of 10 podcasts and then maybe take another break. I'll see where I get to at the end of 10. But I thought in this one it would be really good to talk about what shamanism is and what animism is and go right back to basics. And then that would set the scene for all of the rest in this series. So, shaman or shaman, as some people say. I think Americans tend to say shaman. Do you? Do you say that, American listeners? Uh, Whereas British people tend to say shaman. Um, I guess either is right, Uh, just force of habit with me being a Brit to call it shamanism. So, okay, so the word itself is an evenk word. 
Now, the Evenk are a people from southeastern Siberia and up into sort of central eastern Siberia. They cover quite a large geographical area. Um, they speak uh, the Tungus or the Tunguscan language, and uh, they used to be called the Tungus people, but they're actually called the Evenk. They live in what is now eastern sort of uh, federation of Russian states or whatever it's called, used to be the Soviet Union. And also south of that, over the border in the very top of China, you get some Evenk there. They tend to live in the forest lands uh, of the taiga. And uh, often they're reindeer herders and um, yeah, they don't live in the same kind of nomadic way as they used to. It's not quite the same. Things have changed so much. And, uh, of course, shamanism is not so much practiced there, although it's still very much a feature. So anyway, the word shaman or saman uh, is an Evenk word, and it means to heat up, to get excited, to be agitated. And it's a male word. A shaman is a male practitioner. Uh, if you're interested in female practitioners, the word is udigan. Now, udigan is a word that is used for women practitioners all over a very, very wide area. Whereas saman is the word in the Evenk language and I think also in Manchuria. But uh, in other places, the word for shaman or the word for male shaman is kam or boo. There's various names. Different tribal groups have different names for it. But udigan is the word for female shamans right over the whole area. Now, this to linguists tends to suggest that the word udigan is much older than any of the male words for shamans. So it looks like from that that the very first shamans were women. And it's interesting, if you look at some of the, the, the ritual costumes, um, the clothes of shamans, the clothes of male shamans, a lot of them actually have little bits of female dress. Um, they wear an apron called a dudik. Many tribal groups wear a dudik, which is an apron, and that is based on the woman's apron. And there are other aspects of shaman's dress that make it look like they're kind of copying the women. And so it very much seems like the evidence is that women were the first shamans and men were late to the party and jumped on the bandwagon. So, yeah... Let's hear it for the sisters, and sorry, brothers, we're, we're just kind of copiers, copycats. There you go. That's the way it is. There's also a, a bit of a fashion in kind of new age circles nowadays to use the word shamanka for women. Now, um, I'm not good at languages, but my understanding is that the suffix ka, K-A, on the end of a word is uh, it's um, a word that feminizes, it's Russian, and it's a word that feminizes or a suffix that feminizes. And also, um, because of all the connotations of that, it kind of d 
diminishes. It, it means little and female. So uh, shamanka kind of means little female shaman. Um, in a way, it's derogatory. Uh, it's kind of inferior. It's not really quite the same as a shaman. It's kind of saying lesser than a shaman. So I personally don't think it's a good name to use for a woman practitioner, but I do see it around the place. You get the same in vodka. Um, vod means water and car is kind of little or feminine. So little water, vodka. So, shaman. And I guess maybe if those Russian explorers had not come along and talked to the men and talked to the women instead, perhaps this podcast would be about Udiganism and perhaps many of us would be practising Udiganism and going on Udigan workshops. But like most cultures, the explorers went along and they chatted to the men because, let's face it, the men are the only ones worth talking to. <laughs> and so that's why we have shamanism. Now, I think the word shaman was first met, was first recorded by Russian explorers and trappers and colonizers, people who were trying to exploit the far eastern lands, a long way from Russia itself, a long way from Moscow. Uh, but I think they first came across this word in the 13th century, and I think that's the earliest record of the word being written down. But as the centuries went on and explorers and academics became interested in that part of the world, especially during the 18th century and 19th century, the word became more popular and began to be used more and more in Russian academic literature. And from there, it spread to France because there was a lot of contact between France and Russia during that time. And from France, it spread across to Britain and to other places in Europe. And then from Britain, it went to the States and kind of worldwide. So that's why we have shamanism now as a worldwide kind of uh, descriptive word for this particular type of practice. There's another myth that I come across quite regularly on Facebook and in books and on the Internet in general. And that is that the word shaman comes from a Sanskrit word, uh, which is, I think, more or less said as shaman. Uh, I'm not very good at pronouncing Sanskrit, so I'm not exactly sure of the exact pronunciation of that. This word means Buddhist monk. And the theory was that the, the, the shamans saw the Buddhist monks, met Buddhist monks in the top of China and places like that. And so the word kind of migrated into their language as somebody who does spiritual practice. I really want to stress that this is not correct. The word is solely an Evenk word and has no relationship whatsoever to the word shaman, the uh, Sanskrit word. The Evenk people didn't have a lot of contact with Buddhism. Uh, in Mongolia, there was quite a lot of contact between Buddhists and shamans, especially from the 17th century onwards. But the Evenk people didn't actually have a lot of contact. And the word 
was, well, it was a theory that 19th century linguists came up with. They kind of were trying to make sense of the word and make sense of the world in general. And because of the similarity between the two worlds, they just automatically assumed that the words were connected. They're not. And the Evenk language has no roots in Sanskrit either. So it's just a coincidence. One of these things designed by God to confuse humans. So, OK, I've rambled on for ages about where the word comes from and where it doesn't come from and what men and women are called and all of that stuff. So what on earth does this word mean? What actually is a shaman? A shaman is somebody who goes into a controlled and repeatable trance state. And in this trance state, they do one or both of two things. The first thing is that they go out on a spirit flight into the spirit worlds, whatever the cosmology of the culture is. A lot of cultures have the lower world and the middle world and the upper world. But whatever, the shaman goes out of their body on a spirit flight out into the spirit world and they meet spirits there. They meet spirits that they are going to work with. They are going to fight. They are going to trick or they are going to negotiate with in order to make a physical change in this solid corporeal world. That's the first and foremost definition of shamanism. Now, the second bit of that is that the shaman is very often possessed by these spirits. They have helper spirits that they know, which are generally ancestors, not power animals. Power animals is uh, a sort of Hana based um, kind of new age type thing. It came out of core shamanism. It's not really how traditional shamans operate. So these spirits, they're going to have ancestral spirits, which they know, which they have built a long relationship with, which probably their whole family or their whole lineage of shamans has built a long relationship with. So in the trance state, in the second aspect of the trance state, these spirits, these spirit helpers, these ancestors are going to come into the shaman and they're going to speak and operate through the shaman and give information and give healing and basically do work for members of the shaman's community. So that ability for a shaman to go into a repeated and controlled uh, deliberate trance state is fundamental to defining shamanism. But it gets a bit complicated. Shamanism is an animistic tradition. Now, animism is the understanding that all things in matter have spirits and are to some degree or another sentient. So a mountain is alive and has a spirit. The ocean is alive and has a spirit. A tree has a spirit. The stars have a spirit. Um, even a concept like peace or war has a spirit. Illness has a spirit. A stone has a spirit. All of these things. And that's animism, that basic understanding that everything is alive and sentient. 
So shamanism is an animistic tradition, but there are lots and lots and lots of other traditions in the world. Most cultures, well, just about every single culture, every single place on earth, to some degree has got an animistic tradition, and certainly in the past it was. For instance, in Britain, you can consider that the Celts were an animistic people before Christianity came to them. So all of these traditions are animistic, but they're not all shamanistic. So uh, it's something that gets very often confused, and it's part of the general confusion that happened when shamanism became a popular word back in the middle of the 19th century and sort of onwards into the early 20th century. When anthropologists first started talking about shamanism and started to write about it, they tended to use the word in a very general way. They used it to describe any kind of quote-unquote primitive spiritual system from wherever uh, as shamanic. So um, it became a kind of general word like witch doctor or medicine man. Um, over the time between then and now, researchers into shamanism, which is actually a specialist form of uh, anthropology called shamanology, they have done a lot more research and uh, they have realized that it's much more complicated than that and quite specific. But in the popular mind and in the popular press and especially in the New Age press, the general term shamanism is still applied willy-nilly all over the place to describe just about everything. And that isn't accurate. It's like I say, it's the popular view, but it's not the proper view. It's not the proper definition of the word. Without trance, it's not shamanism. However, trance occurs in lots of other places. So it's kind of also a bit difficult to just think of, of shamanism as being trance or rather that all trance is shamanism. Lots of spiritual cultures will have trance aspects to it. For instance, um, voodoo and some of those African-based traditions, the, uh, the, the use of trance is quite prevalent in those traditions, but it's not the same as shamanism really because it tends to happen to members of the congregation, for want of a better word, and it happens in an ad hoc way that is not controlled, not repeatable. So people will gather for the ceremony. They'll bop about. They'll do what they do. They do the ceremony. They invoke the spirits. And some of the people there will, from time to time, get taken over by spirits. They may be very much recognisable spirits that pop up at different times in different people. But... It's not something that you can rely on. It's not like a professional, quote unquote, person, which is what a shaman is, deliberately saying, right, now I'm going to call the spirits and they're going to come into me. In voodoo and similar traditions, the spirit is called by the professionals, by the, again, we don't have terms, so I'm going to use the term priest. The, 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 the shaman, the priest rather, is, is going to call those spirits but it's tending to be a lot of the congregation 
that are going to get them come into them and they won't be able to predict before that evening starts whether they're going to get possessed or not. So you see, it's different. Shamanism really is the very deliberate, very um, repeatable, very controlled trance, whereas other trance forms are not so controlled. And it gets slightly more complicated too, because shamans do lots of things that are not technically shamanic, i.e. they don't involve a trance. So a shaman will do healing, they will do divination, they will do uh, the making of amulets and protective charms, they will in effect do magic, and they don't necessarily need to be entranced to do that. So they do the same sorts of animistic magical practices that all cultures do, and that further confuses the fact that people tend to think that everything tribal is shamanic. So because of this legacy of inaccurate Victorian kind of thought about shamanism that has escaped and gone feral and now gets repeated all over the world, people tend to think that it's a worldwide phenomenon, whereas in fact it actually isn't. Now, shamanologists tend to think and tend to consider that shamanism arose in the area of Mongolia and the Altai Mountains and that part of southern Siberia and uh, sort of northern Central Asia. And by looking at the origin of myths and the distribution of myths and to some degree by looking at archaeological records and other sort of aspects which give clues as to the age of shamanism, they think that it developed around about 10 to 12, maybe 15,000 years ago, which is generally a lot younger than a lot of people think. Um, it developed undoubtedly out of a pre-existing animistic tradition, but shamanism itself, from all the evidence that we have, is only around about 10 to 12,000 years old. That's the sort of tail end of the early Stone Age. And then it kind of developed again across the New Stone Age and then into the Bronze Age and the Iron Age and all of that and came to be in its present form probably around about uh, the 13th century, um, thereabouts, again, in Mongolia. So we talk about shamanism as a sort of blanket term for these tribal spiritual traditions. And uh, because of, the, of that confusion created by the Victorians, we tend to think of them as uh, being all over the planet. For instance, a lot of people will think of Native American traditions as shamanic. As I said, it, it kind of isn't because those traditions don't really employ trance very much. The Americas are an interesting thing to talk about, I think. It's generally considered that people had crossed the land bridge from Siberia into America by around about 15,000 years ago. And there seems to be some evidence that they were there maybe 20, perhaps even as far back as 40,000 years ago. Those dates, all of them, predate the development of shamanism in Central Asia. So 
it's fair to say that the people who went into the Americas came from Siberia and Central Asia in those migrations. But when they set off, shamanism hadn't been developed. So they didn't carry shamanism with them as part of their culture. They carried the kind of proto-shamanic animism. And that's why generally in the Americas, you don't actually find, in the proper sense of the word, shamanism. Native American traditions are not shamanism. They are animistic, well, they're the medicine traditions, as the term is used, but they're not technically shamanism. You do get shamanism with the last peoples that came into the Americas, right up in the north, in the northwest coast particularly, tribal groups like the Hyder and the Klingit and Coatl and those those sorts of groups, they do tend to have shamanic traditions because shamanism had started to evolve as they kind of set out and got to the Americas. But further south, those people got to the Americas before shamanism had been invented. So like I say, they couldn't carry it with them. There's an anomaly in South America because um, the peoples that went into Amazonia, well, they kind of met the teacher plants there, the uh, ethnogenic plants, and started working with those. So that shamanism is sort of different to the classical shamanism of Central Asia and Siberia and seems to have arisen spontaneously or, or independently, perhaps is a better way of putting it, and so doesn't have the same roots and isn't really the same beast. In fact, some anthropologists don't really consider it to be shamanism. I think that's a bit harsh. Uh, I, I'm perfectly happy to consider it uh, shamanism myself. Personally, I think shamanism is a bit of a problematic word. There are so many different cultures in the world that work in such a deep way with spirits that we need a general term like shamanism used to be, I think, to describe those things. I do think it's appropriate to just think of shamanism in its very technical, strict definition. But then you exclude lots of groups, for instance, the San Bushmen of South Africa and the Australian Aboriginal teachings and lots and lots of other traditions which are deeply magical and I think, in a way, the term animism does them a disservice. They, Yes, they are animistic, but it sort of doesn't really give them the depth that perhaps they deserve. So I don't know what that word could be, but I think it would be really good if we could find another term that kind of covered all sorts of traditions, like I say, like the Aborigines in Australia and the Bushmen and lots of other things, and perhaps even including the, the Siberian shamans um, in a general term. But, you know, we don't think of Buddhists as being the same as Christians. Um, Buddhism in Tibet is not kind of considered a, 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 a global word that we use for all spiritual traditions. And I think it's the same with shamanism. But we do need that other word for the other traditions, which in many ways have got so many parallels with shamanism, but are not from Siberia, not from Mongolia, not from Central Asia. Now, those people in Central Asia, in Siberia, in Mongolia, 
they migrated. You know, we're talking 15,000 years ago or whatever. And during that time, a lot of tribal groups migrated and they took those teachings with them, just as they went to America and those last people into America, like the Haida and the Klingit and whatever, they they have those sort of um, shamanic elements because they carried them with them as they traveled. The same is true of other groups that went down into areas of Southeast Asia, Cambodia, and down into China, and of course Tibet and Nepal and little parts of northern India. They all have routes that take them straight back, either direct routes because people migrated or kind of trade routes because ideas were traded along the routes just like bags of grain or blocks of salt or rolls of silk. So, okay, we can define shamanism really predominantly as an Asian, Central Asian and Siberian tradition. And parallel traditions occur in other places in the world but they're really not quite the same as shamanism and they don't tend to have the same degree of working with trance or at least not in the same way as the shamans in Siberia do. This means that terms like Native American shamanism, Inca shamanism, um, Celtic shamanism, African shamanism, they're really misnomers. Uh, let's quickly look at the Celts. The Celtic traditions, there's no evidence whatsoever that they did anything in a shamanic way, not following that strict definition of shamanism that comes from Siberia. Like I say, yeah, if you use the Victorian one that's the popular view, you can call anything shamanism, but not in the strict term. So um, the modern kind of phenomenon of, of Celtic shamanism and all the books written about it, really it's using the S word to sex up a product. It's not an accurate term. Shamanism, as far as we're aware, was not in Europe with a couple of exceptions. The, the two exceptions being in Hungary, where tribes migrated there from Central Asia and brought their traditions with them. And also in the top of Norway, the Sami people, who again came to be shamanic through contact and migration from, in effect, the northern Siberian tribes. I always think of the Sami and that part of Norway right up there in the top and Finland, too, as being kind of the most westernly extreme of Siberia. And those cultures are they're the kind of the tail end, the tail fringe of Siberian shamanism. But the Celts, they were not shamanic, not in that proper sense of the term. You don't find it in Wales, you don't find it in Scotland, you don't find it in England. Vikings, the Norse people are interesting in that they have said, or I can never say that word. Um, yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> that kind of uh, tradition where generally the woman, the vulva, will go into trance and the spirits will come through them and sing and give prophecy. Yeah, that's that's pretty shamanic. I think it's one of these untidy fringe bits of shamanism. Shamanism does not have a nice defined edge. I wish it did. I wish it was black and white, but it's not. It's all fuzzy and grey and it morphs and it goes from one bit that's shamanic to another bit that isn't. Ah, oh, life is so untidy. So for me, the Norse traditions 
they are on that periphery. And from some of the things I've read, it seems like they actually got some of those traditions from their northern neighbours anyway. They kind of migrated in thought, in culture, in uh, in concept from, you know, perhaps the Sami people or, or others that they met uh, on their travels. So I hope that that gives a little bit of understanding about what shamanism is. This is just the sort of beginning podcast of the series. And uh, we're going to look in more depth in different aspects of shamanism and also animism, because this podcast and my own practice involves a lot of animism, too. So I hope you've enjoyed this one and please listen out for the next. So I'll end by sharing a few links. If you are interested in Sacred Hoop magazine, which I'm the editor of, then you can have a special office subscription, which is £14. That's about $17 US at the moment. Uh, for two years, that's eight issues. And to get that, go to sacredhoop.org org org forward slash offer dot html you can check out my three worlds website which is three worlds dot co dot uk that's the number three not the word three so it's numeral three worlds dot co dot uk if you want to email me it's nick at sacred hoop dot and if you'd like to support this podcast and would like to make a PayPal donation, please send it to donation at sacredhoop.org. All right, I'll catch you next time. Bye bye.